We'll be reading Psalm 51 tonight, the whole psalm. This is God's word for us. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. We'll talk about five guidelines for prayers of confession from this text tonight. And it's not so much that we should do these things, one, two, three, four, five, as that these are five dynamics to be thinking of as we approach our Lord in prayer. So five things. First, don't make excuses. Second, depend on Christ's work. Third, seek forgiveness for specific sins. Fourth, ask for cleansing from evil. And fifth, pray for restoration. First, don't make excuses. At one of our extended family gatherings, I once saw a couple of siblings get into, get into a bit of a squabble. Now, actually, I saw that all the time at extended family gatherings. That's one of those things that that's what those are for. But one time in particular, I saw this younger sister just getting under her older brother's skin. And they were going back and forth, back and forth. They weren't being really loud and obnoxious about it. But over the course of maybe half an hour, they were kind of ratcheting up a little bit at a time. And finally, at one point, the sister started to walk away. But as she walked by her brother, she whispered something really snarky and then kind of elbowed her brother and took off running. And her brother managed to turn around and smack her on the way by. And then he started to chase her. But as he was headed this way after his sister, his dad was headed this way and walked in just in time to see him hit his sister. And the dad grabbed him and said, no, you never hit a girl. And of course, there were all kinds of excuses. But dad, she hit me first. No. Dad, come on. She's been really annoying all day. No. But dad, no. But dad, I didn't hit her that. No. All kinds of excuses, but none of them really mattered. He'd done something wrong, and that was that. Our automatic response most of the time when we get caught doing something wrong is to make excuses. 
We want to downplay our sin. We want to somehow minimize it. We want to get people to look the other way. We want to make excuses. And if you've ever had to confront someone with something, you probably, maybe not all the time, but you probably first hit a number of deflections. Who told you? That squealer. Who else knows about this? Okay, okay, I I did it. But it's not as bad as you're making it sound. We like to make excuses. And I think often those excuses are rooted in our sense of guilt and maybe even more in our pride. I think deep down we all have some sense that things aren't quite right with us, but we cannot stand to look that reality in the face. We think we're better than that, so we refuse to acknowledge our sin. We try to explain it away. We try to deflect attention away from it. We try to rationalize it. And we do these things internally and externally. On the inside, we build up different defense mechanisms to help us not look at our failures. And externally, if someone else tries to call us to account, we have all these things that we do. We don't let ourselves hear what they have to say. We turn it around and strike back at them. Well, I may be bad, but you're worse. We like to maintain our dignity. We like to think that we're okay, even if we have to cover over terrible things to do it. Often when it comes to our sin, we're a bit like people who are choking on their food in a restaurant or a public place. And if you've ever watched someone who's choking, what do they do first? They try to cover it up. They might be sitting there gagging into their napkin over and over again, but they try desperately not to make a scene. And then if it gets too bad, they'll jump up and they'll excuse themselves and they'll rush off to the hallway or the bathroom or outside so that other people don't have to see them while they choke. And actually, that's the worst thing you can do. At a certain point, if you run away from everybody else to go do this in private because you don't want to be embarrassed, you end up choking to death. And a lot of people who die from choking actually end up dying after they've rushed somewhere off to be by themselves to cover over the problem they're having. So when we're faced with our sin, when we're faced with this deadly reality that things are not right with us, We shouldn't deflect, we shouldn't rationalize, we shouldn't minimize, we shouldn't make excuses. The best thing we we can do when we're faced with sin is to confess and to seek mercy based on Christ's work. We need to depend on Christ's work, on God's grace. And that's basically what King David is doing in this psalm that we read We won't be spending a whole lot of time tonight talking about the background to that psalm, but as the uh, superscript at the beginning tells us, this psalm happens, or this psalm came out of a time in David's life when he abused his power as king terribly. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 if you want to. But basically, David steals Uriah's wife Bathsheba, and then he has Uriah killed, slaughtered on the battlefield and made to look like an accident. So David in that text commits a couple acts that according to the Old Testament rules should have made him worthy of the death penalty. And so then a little later, the Lord sends the prophet Nathan to go and to confront King David and to say, you have done wrong. And Psalm 51 is David's prayer in response to the Lord's rebuke. David doesn't bluster about what he's done. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't make some kind of claim about royal privilege or extenuating circumstances or something. 
David just says, I've sinned against the Lord. And then he goes to the Lord and he confesses. No excuses, just seeking mercy. When we've sinned, we've sinned. And God never forgives us because our sins weren't all that bad. He doesn't forgive us because we promise to do better next time. He doesn't forgive us because we have a good excuse for at least this one sin. John White, in his book, Daring to Draw Near, that we've drawn a lot on for this sermon series, puts it this way. God can pardon and cleanse because of who he is, not because you deserve another chance. You do not. None of us does. I stress the point because to the degree that we attempt to excuse ourselves, to that degree we are not trusting the righteousness of our Savior. Let me read that again. To the degree that we attempt to excuse ourselves, to that degree we are not trusting the righteousness of our Savior. We deserve nothing but death. We may be cleansed only because our sins were laid upon another. So when we go to God and confess our sins, we shouldn't try to claim anything, anything, except that Christ's work can be applied to us by the grace of God. We are forgiven by God because Christ died for us. And that can be tremendously, tremendously freeing for you, for you. Christ was born, he lived, he died, and he rose again for you. And that is enough. As long as we're making excuses, as long as we're trying to say somehow we can make this right, we're holding on to the burden of sin. We're putting that burden on ourselves. And we can't carry that burden. But in the work of Christ, we find hope and true forgiveness. In Christ alone, our hope is found. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Period. Full stop. End of discussion. And we're tempted to say sometimes, but I've done good stuff. Not good enough. But I promise I won't do it again. But your sin has to be paid for. But, but, but. No. No. No excuses. No minimizing, no deflecting, no rationalization. Only Christ's work is enough to cover your sins. And by itself, Christ's work is enough to cover your sins. So don't make excuses. Depend on Christ's work. And then we're called to ask for forgiveness of specific sins. You see this throughout Psalm 51. Let me repeat a few, a few phrases from the first few verses of this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassions, blot out my transgressions. For I know my transgression, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David knows that he's sinned, and he goes to God, and he asks for God to have mercy, to blot out his transgressions, to take away the guilt from the sins that he's committed. But there's an especially important dynamic in how David talks about this in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 4, has David say to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. David says that he sinned only against God. And if you think about the backstory there, that seems a little strange. I mean, what about Uriah? 
this guy that David had killed? What about Bathsheba, this woman who David stole away from her husband? What about the whole nation of Israel that David's conduct has let down? And all of that matters, but the most important thing to David here, the most important thing when he confesses is that he sinned against God. And it turns out that all our sins are against God. There is no such thing as a victimless sin because every single act of sin that we commit is an act of rebellion against God. Every time we sin, we are striking out against the Lord. We tend to see the horizontal context of sin more clearly, but the reality is that every single time we do something wrong, we're also acting vertically. We're acting against the Lord God. A number of years ago, David and Karen Maines wrote a book called Tales of the Kingdom. It's a series of short stories, almost parables, that happen in Great Park, and it's about people who resemble Christians in a lot of ways who are looking forward to the coming of the new kingdom that the king is bringing bit by bit in this place. And one story in that book is the story of the chief baker. The chief baker loves to make breads and pastries and all kinds of baked goods for the king's feast, but the baker hates the needy, the poor, the crippled. For the king, he'll do anything that he's asked to, but for the needy who show up, he'll do nothing. So one day, a hungry mother and her baby show up, and they beg for some bread. They've gotten lost in the forest around the baker's complex, and they haven't eaten in a day or two. And the baker says, no, that's not what I'm here for. And he draws them a map in the dirt to go somewhere else where maybe they can get help. And then the chief baker notices a small child sneaking up on this, one of his ovens, and he goes and he grabs the kid, and he smacks him around, and he kicks him out and throws some stones at him. The kid keeps yelling, I'm just smelling the bread, but the baker doesn't care. It's the king's bread. It's not for anybody else. And finally, a couple of assistant bakers catch someone actually trying to steal bread, and the chief baker grabs one of his baking paddles, and he beats the guy almost unconscious till he manages to escape and run away. But then an hour or two later, the king himself, the king himself is brought to the baker's complex, and he's been beaten almost unconscious. He looks like he's lost a couple fights, and through that long night, the king's people watch and wonder, is the king going to survive or not? And in the morning, the chief baker brings the king some bread, and he's delighted to find that the king, the king has recovered. And the baker says, I'm so glad you're better. I wish I'd been with you. I could have helped defend you against your attackers. And the king looks at the baker, and with compassion and hurt in his eyes, he said, you know, baker, my wounds aren't like those of other men. My wounds aren't like those of other men. When people cry out in hunger, I'm famished. When people are beaten unjustly, I hurt. When the poor and the hungry suffer, I too suffer. And the baker realizes that when he turned away that woman with her child, when he kicked the orphan and threw stones at him, when he beat that poor man to the ground, what he really was doing was hurting his king. We wrong our neighbors, but we always sin against the Lord. We wrong our neighbors, but our great offense is against the Lord God who made us to live in a certain way. And whenever we do any kind of wrong, we are breaking out and acting against God's kingdom. It's a good and a healthy thing for us to ask for forgiveness for specific sins 
and to confess that we have sinned not just against our neighbor, but also against our Lord. It's a good and healthy thing for us to go to the Lord and say, I did this, and I did that, and I did the other thing too, and I am sorry. Please forgive me. And if you never have it that your conscience pricks you, if you never have it that you feel like you've committed some specific sin, pray and ask God to show you how you've sinned, and I'm pretty sure he will show you some ways that you need to confess. And when we approach God, when we go to God and we say, I have sinned in this way, the scriptures tell us that God is faithful and just and that he forgives us our sins and makes us righteous. When we ask to be forgiven, God forgives us. But there's also a deeper, deeper level of sinfulness that we need to wrestle with in our prayers and in our lives as Christians. Our prayers of confession should ask God to take away our guilt, but they should also ask God to cleanse us from evil. We should ask for cleansing from evil. Sin makes us guilty, but sin also makes us corrupt. Sin gets into the roots of our soul. Sin spoils us, and it makes us go bad. It's not just that we do these bad things sometimes. It's that we, in our hearts, are bad people. We can't get away from sin. It defines us. Aaron Hernandez was a, well, he used to be a football player for the New England Patriots. He was a tight end. He was a great football player. But he grew up in a rough place, just a couple hours away from where the New England Patriots play. And his childhood troubles always dogged him. He kept going back. He went back to hang out with his friends. He went back to see his old enemies. He kept up the old friendships. Now, a lot of professional athletes kind of keep up with their roots. But for Hernandez, it was all the bad stuff that he kept going back to. He just couldn't get away. Again and again, he'd hang out with those old friends, pick up on those old influences. He just kept getting sucked back in. And people with the team, other newer friends he made, kept trying to get him out, but he never could get out. And that pattern of going back to the old stuff ended up with Hernandez and a couple of his buddies taking one of their friends out one night to an abandoned field and shooting him down in cold blood. Just took him out and killed him. Hernandez could not get away from the evil that had sucked him in. All kinds of advantages, all kinds of good things, all kinds of exit strategies, all kinds of ways that he could have left that life behind. But it kept sucking him back Brokenness and trouble defined his life, and he never got away, and now he's in prison for the rest of his life. Now, not too many people obviously end up actually murdering someone else, but all of us have that problem. All of us have that root of corruption deep, deep, deep in our souls, and no matter what we do, we can't get rid of it. We can't dig deep enough to dig it up on our own We try to get away, it sucks us back in. We try to leave it behind, and it catches up with us. And so we need to confess not just that we've done wrong things, but also that we're wrong people. We aren't right inside. And Psalm 51 gives us a couple images for this. Remember verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, And renew a steadfast spirit within me. 
from our very beginning, all of us are bent in the wrong direction. From the very beginning, we're just not right. We sometimes use the language of total depravity to talk about this. And that doesn't mean that everything that we do is totally bad or that we're the worst people we possibly could be. But what it does mean is that sin has touched every single part of our lives. Even the deepest springs of our hearts have been poisoned by sin. We do wrong, and we're broken people. And so in Psalm 51, David asked God to make him clean, not just to take his guilt away, but to create in him a new, pure heart, free of sin and able to hold on to God. And that's a prayer for all of us to share in, not just that God would wash away the surface grime of our lives, not just that he would forgive us for specific sins, but also that he would work deeply in us to clean up the mess within. So when we confess, we should ask God to do away with our specific sins, but we should also ask God to make us totally clean. Now, in some ways, that's a terribly, terribly hard request to make because it means that we have to admit that we aren't right. It means that we have to go to God and admit that we are fundamentally, completely, totally broken. And that is hard. But it's also tremendously freeing. If we don't admit that we are broken people, then we keep trying to fix everything on our own. If we can't admit that we need God to make us new, we keep trying to renew ourselves over and over and over again. And either we fail all the time and we come to hate ourselves, or we convince ourselves that we're succeeding all the time and we become such proud people that we're miserable to be around and also such proud people that we can't see that we're actually sick and we can't see anymore that we actually need healing. So ask for cleansing from evil. Recognize how deep sin goes in all of our hearts and go to the Lord and ask him to clean us from the very depths of our hearts so that we are made right. One last point for tonight. Finally, we should seek restoration. Sin makes us, sin corrupts us, and it also alienates us. Sin breaks our relationships. It breaks our relationships with each other. It breaks our relationship with God. From the very beginning of sin in the human race, Adam and Eve ran away from God, and they started pointing fingers at each other. And we've kept doing that. St. Augustine, one of the great thinkers of the early church, talked about how sin bends us in on ourselves. Sin bends us in on ourselves. It pulls us away from other people. It pulls us away from God. It collapses our world into just our lonely, broken, little selves. Sin, sin bends us around. It twists us up, and it leaves us curved in and stuck with ourselves. And so Psalm 51 leads us to ask God to restore us. It leads us to ask God, don't cast us away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
And then at the end of the psalm, we see some different ways that David says, restore our relationship, and this is what life will look like. This is what relationship with you will look like. Please bring me back to this pattern of joyful prayer and worship and connection with you. So when we pray for forgiveness, when we pray for cleansing, we should also pray for restoration. God, please restore our relationships. Bring us back to you. Bring us back to other people. And as with all of this, we only find hope for that restoration in Jesus Christ. Jesus' work opens the way for us to be holy. Jesus is the true mediator between God and us. Jesus is the only one who can restore that relationship, who can make us able to hold on to God forever. So I know confession often feels like a burden. It can sound kind of depressing, kind of grim, kind of morbid to have to confess that we're guilty, to have to confess that we're broken, to have to look at all the alienation that we've brought on ourselves. But prayers of confession can be tremendously, tremendously restorative and healing. As long as we excuse our sin, as long as we minimize it, as long as we pretend it's not really that bad, we have to carry that burden. But when we confess to the Lord, the Lord takes that burden away. He frees us from the guilt of our sinful actions. He pardons us and he makes us right within. He cleanses us deeply and he restores our relationship with him. When we confess, God is faithful, he's just, and he restores us as his people.